Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. Really enthused today to have Ben Lansman on the show. Dr. Ben Lansman is the Director of Trauma Anesthesia at UCSF. Anyway, he has a very interesting background. He's working on some powerful things, has worked on some powerful things. And if you think about anesthesia, if you think about trauma, right, you know, Ben is at the center of gravity of what's been happening here. But um, I'm not going to steal his thunder. Uh, Dr. Lansman, welcome to the show. Hi, Anthony. Thanks very much for having me along. Absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe take us back, teleport us or transport us back, you know, maybe from a point where you started really getting fascinated about health in your early on in your life. And then, you know, just what were those series of events that led you into where you're at today? Uh, look, I think as probably your listeners would realize, I'm, I'm not American born and bred. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in Australia and I did all my medical training in Australia. Uh, but I think if I was to, to cast my mind back to, to the first thing is, is the high school I went to had an opportunity to get involved in some volunteer first aid opportunities. And really, you know, if you, if you think about what are the impact you can have as an individual on someone else, you know, being able to intervene in a critical health moment, uh, I think is one of the most powerful things we as, as members of a community can do. And I was deathly afraid of, you know, coming across as a bystander, someone in the street that had, you know, was cardiac arrest or some sort of critical medical emergency. And just for the fact that I hadn't had basic first aid training was not able to help save a life. And so that was my initial motivation to get involved in, in that really basic first responder level first aid. And then as part of that volunteering, we were involved in, in different um, providing community first aid to, to events. And so for those who, who may or may not be aware, Australian Rules Football is a, is a, is a wonderful uh, sport which we have in Australia. And the <laughs> Melbourne Cricket Ground is our biggest uh, stadium in Melbourne. And it seats 110, 120,000 people. So a very large, large space. And I was there and, and providing first aid duty. I think I was 13 or 14 years old at the time. Uh, and we were responded to a cardiac arrest. And so I was there and, and it was an elderly gentleman in full cardiac arrest and not breathing, no pulse. We were doing CPR. We defibrillated him, uh, got him back. He was transferred and had a, a heart stent put in and, and made a really great recovery. He was a, a priest and it was just one of those things that that really stuck with me. I got a crash course in how to do mass ventilation, which as an anesthesiologist, it's a bit scary to think I, I learned in about 30 seconds how to do it. Uh, and probably was doing a terrible job of it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that really left this indelible mark on me of, of the, how profound an impact you can have as one individual taking care of one person at a time. And that really set me on the path to mm -hmm. continue with my studies and continue to engage in, in how I could help people. Uh, and, you know, it was quite interesting when I finally applied to, to medical school, you know, the, the half a decade later. Um, one of the questions I got asked in my interview for medical school was, well, all the really exciting things you've done, it sounds like you want to be an EMT, you should be a paramedic. And, and it was, you know, I, I found out a really challenging question because, you know, everything I'd done up to that point was about being a first responder, was about being at that really hyper acute end of what was going on. And... The, the, the answer I gave was around 
you know, if you want to have the largest impact you possibly can, you know, for better or for worse, the current state of play is that that a physician holds a lot of power in the healthcare system, both from a policy and a, and a, a structural point of view. Uh, whether that's right or wrong is a whole different discussion. But if you really want to be at the point where you can not be following protocols but writing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that really is, is, is the domain of physicians as they stand at the moment. And that's where I want it to be. I love it. I love it. Dr. Lansman. Yeah, no, this is, you know, super powerful, um, you know, series of events and backgrounds and kind of, you know, really interesting origin story. Didn't involve any uh, radioactive spider bites, but definitely some really interesting interactions that set you on a, a really interesting, you know, path. Um, you know, you're here in, in, in the area, right? And Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the things you see, or I should say some of the things that really fascinate you in health today. Maybe you can pick one or two topics here and go a little bit deeper, like what fascinates you about the area, but also, you know, why? You know, I think that, you know, one of the things I found really challenging for me over the last, I've been here for four years now. So mm-hmm. um, one of the mm-hmm. things I found challenging for me is, is the contrast between you know what we have at home, which is a nationalised health system. You know, Australia is a, a pretty small country. We're sort of just over twenty million people, mm-hmm. uh, and coming to the Bay Area and working, you know, at a behemoth of a, of a prestigious institution like UCSF. Uh, you, you know, the, the the scale of opportunity that is just available here in the United States is is on a different level in terms of funding and mm-hmm. patient volume and the opportunities to do things. And yet, at the same time, all of that exciting opportunity is juxtaposed against. You know, I think that it would not be going too far to say American healthcare is dysfunctional at the moment. Uh, and you know, the inequity that, that I see on a daily basis working at Zuckerberg San Francisco General at the county hospital, which is where I do all my clinical work. Uh, you know, we are a safety net hospital. We care for the underinsured, the uninsured, the socially disenfranchised. And you, know, you see on a day-to-day basis the social determinants of health and how those things are those are really hard problems to fix. Those aren't mm-hmm. things that you can just throw a little bit of money at and it's going to to reverse. These are entrenched issues, whether it's about mental health, about you know racism, about mm-hmm. um, you know immigration. These all things to sort of come into this melting pot that we care for at uh, at our hospital. And I found the the real you know, when you when you come into an environment that has a lot of problems, I think that I try to take an optimistic view and, and with problems comes opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when you have things that are not working, you have the greatest opportunity to improve them and make a change. And that is sort of why I've stayed and why I'm continuing to be excited to work where I do because not only me as an individual clinician taking care of patients, but also the opportunities to get involved in research and, and, and improvement projects within you know our, our ecosystem here at the at the county uh, where you if you can change the lives of one person and then two people and then you know it has the potential to exponentially grow so it's very exciting mm-hmm. I love it I love it yeah no I'm right there with you and uh, yeah social determinants of health you know comes up a lot and so really appreciate the illustration that you have, you know, going, you know, deeper in this area. Um, Dr. Lanceman, you, um, 
you know, obviously as, uh, you know, focusing on anesthesia and trauma, you know, you're seeing a lot of things, I guess, in your field of study and what you do every single day, you probably have your own like standards of excellence that you try and strive for. Um, if you, if there is someone um, that wants to do exactly what you're doing and they're, you know, they're, they're young, they're aspiring, they're maybe just get right, getting right out of medical school. What's some pieces of advice that you would partake on them? Like, what's the difference that makes a difference in like being excellent in your profession? What are some things that you really have worked for you and, you know, standards that you strive for? I mean, I think, I think that if you were to, to really focus on, on what is, you know, a single quality or, or feature that, that enables you to excel in, you know, trauma anesthesia, basically in the, in the Bay area, if, if you're shot, stabbed, run over, you'll end up at, at Zuckerberg San Francisco general. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's one thing that we do phenomenally well is take care of injured patients. Mm. And the reason we do well is because we work as a very, very close knit team. Uh, you know, there's a small group of extremely competent trauma surgeons. There is a small group of extremely competent nurses and a small group of extremely competent anesthesiologists comparative to the, you know, world stage and the intensive care and, and all of the, the other staff that are involved in the care of these patients. You know, are all focused around this singular mission of, of trying to save these people. Mm -hmm. And the ability for us to, because these situations you're usually operating on poor or, or insufficient information, a lot of uncertainty, and communication between the different parts of the team becomes the single, I think, most important factor to, to, to achieve a good outcome. That being said, if I was to sort of focus in a little bit more on, on what makes a a very good anesthesiologist or critical care provider in this context is it's about being able to take that uncertainty and convert it into a plan of action because if you will look at you know conventional anesthesia practice if if i think you've got a you know if you've got a cold i'm cancelling your case i'm not going to do your case if it's you know you're going to have your knee arthroscopy or something like that you know the the, the risk of you having an adverse event, uh, event during anesthesia outweighs the benefit you're going to get we can delay your surgery a couple of weeks and do it then but when you've been shot, delaying really isn't an option and we need to go straight away and being able to walk that fine line between optimization and, you know, just getting on with it is, is a really fine balance to do. And, and that is sort of, I guess, the secret sauce about what, what me and my colleagues bring to the table is because some of the patients, it's, it's a clear, they have to go right now, sort of the, the, the shot, unstable patient, but some right. of them... You know, you might have half an hour, you might have two hours, you might have 12 hours to optimize the patient. And it's about what can we do in that period of time? And so that's where a lot of my, my work is focused on is, is trying to work out what those things are, how we can skill up the frontline providers to do that. And so a lot of things we're doing around echocardiography by anesthesiologists for the purposes of you know, cardiologists are not going to be there at two in the morning to come scan for us. So mm -hmm. how can we get the bare bones information we need? You know, developing pathways and and things to to really make sure that we can give reproducible high quality care to these patients. I love it. I love it, Dr. Lansman. Yeah, no, this is great. And I, I think those words of wisdom are, you know, very prescriptive for, you know, professionals that are aspiring, just starting off their career to strive for. And obviously you're at ground zero, um, you know, almost like in the country, right, of seeing, you know, these interesting cases and uh, being able to help these people heal you know, short term, um, you know, super key and important that first, you know, kind of hour or two as they come in, right? 
Um, let me ask you, so, you know, you, you see a lot of trauma, a lot of physical trauma coming in daily, uh, weekly. Um, what's interesting is always the routines and habits, like someone, a professional like yourself have to undergo to withstand, uh, trauma, micro trauma for yourself, right? Like, what do you do to stay resilient, mentally resilient, physically resilient? What are some personal health habits or routines that really work for you these days? Uh, you know, I think that, you know, if you look at all the statistics coming out of the healthcare industry uh, across the board, you know, mental health, I think, and burnout and those sort of type of, of features are, are really starting now to be really recognised that the impact that they have on our, our performance, you know, a burnt right. out person actually will make more mistakes, will get deliver poorer quality care. So it's not just about being selfish, it's about doing what's right for your patients by actually having good self-care. So if I was to think about what I do, and, and it's quite interesting, you know, I, we move... Um, you know, I ended up not taking very good care of myself and, and, you know, I sort of took a moment of introspection and, and so I have, you know, reprioritized making sure that, that I do take good care of myself and so being physically active and, and exercising and eating well is a really important part of what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to get more sleep than I do, but, but that is sort of the, I know I, I perform better on more sleep, uh, right. but sometimes that is the nature of young children and the other bits of life and study and those sort of things get in the way and we do do call shifts when we are at the hospital at night um, which impacts sleep and shift work is definitely a big challenge mm. uh, but a lot of it is also having the communal support from from your people around you you know i feel that i am working in an environment where we are supportive of each other and mm -hmm. I don't think I can understate how important it is to to foster a culture of of the, that sort of support and you know if you are in an environment where you're not receiving that type of support you know be the change you want to see in your in your workplace be supportive be understanding you know I know that I could turn around tomorrow and I've got a clinical shift tomorrow and turn around and say today, hey, my child is sick, I need to be at home to care for them. And I know one of my colleagues would step in and make sure that that shit was covered. And I don't think everyone's lucky enough to work in that type of collaborative environment. Um, one of the things that I, I did a, a master's degree in human factors, sort of very much interested in how mistakes happen and, and how in complex systems we do things. And one of the, the things we talked about as a really great, uh, you know, self-check tool that people can use is if you're you know to, to work out whether you're at risk of making a mistake is you know if to if you're hungry angry late or tired you should halt and have a think about what's going on right and you know i found that to be a really simple sort of top to toe self-check to go you know what is going on because you can totally understand that if you're any of those things if you're hungry if you're angry if you're running late and rushing or if you're tired your likelihood of making a mistake is higher and it doesn't mean you can necessarily fix those things in the moment but you can just have a little bit of a pause readdress what you're doing make sure you're actually on the right track right right i love that framework yeah that that might be the title of this episode but no but no this is really um great what you're you're mentioning your yeah mental health sleep um and you know being mindful and present in the profession um is really important sounds like 
you know, this is really, you know, work for you. And definitely we're, we're starting to see that trend a lot more is coming back to the basics of just health, right? You know, sleep, be mindful, um, and, and uh, you know, mental health and, and, and attending one's mental health is, you know, super important in this profession. So pretty profound um, set of regimen that you, you and your, your peers have to go through to stay at optimal health and condition. Um, Dr. Lanceman, tell me, tell me a little bit about your vision of healthcare in the future. What do you know in your heart that is going to manifest and happen in the field of healthcare? Paint for us that optimistic vision of the future, according, according to Ben. <laughs> well, I guess one of the, the things that, you know, I was, if I was to think you know, probably over the next 10 years about what I, I think might or should happen and what I'm hoping will happen. And then, and then I've got a sort of slightly more f further afield thought. But, uh, you know, over this next period of time is, is one of the, the challenges. And I think that the, the best we're going to be able to do is, is to look at, you know, the, the next huge advances are not going to come from some new drug or some new treatment or some new therapy, but it's, it's, it's actually being able to consistently apply current best practice to every patient every time. Right. Uh, there's so much disparity in, in the way we execute care. And that's not just in America, that's across the world. Uh, you know, the comparisons between the, the ivory tower type institutions, which they're not perfect, but they seem to have a lot more volume and, and effort goes into the consistency of their care. Uh, and, and versus some of the, the more peripheral institutions that may not have the resources or the, the local know-how to be currently delivering what would be best practice and it's not because they don't they're just not aware that that, that they're not performing on best practice uh, and and we know that if we're able to do those sort of best practice performance that provides safer higher quality more value-based care so you know your health dollar goes further and, and really that is I think going to be the fundamental driver for this type of change is, is to make sure that we can continue to deliver exceptional care but at a, at a cost that is consistent with what you know our societies can afford because you know that equity of distribution I think is a really important challenge that we're going to be dealing with over the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, if I was to take a more longer view you know I think that over the next 50 years we're going to see hospitals shrivel and and and, and sort of mm -hmm. not be the centers of the healthcare ecosystem. I think more and more care is going to be delivered at the patient side rather than at the bedside. Uh, with the you know increasing use of, of monitors and remote monitors and data, you know I could imagine uh, a vision where we're almost shifting the the hotel costs of care, which is a huge contribution to the to the cost of care um, in the current sort of hospital-based system. But that goes back onto the community. People stay in their own homes. They're they're remotely monitored. They essentially get mm -hmm. they're a combination of telehealth. Or virtual health, or uh, because we're able to collect so much data about people that we don't need to have a physical presence. And you just think about the amount of, you know, uh, anti antimicrobial resistance as an example. Mm -hmm. And you know, the worst thing you can do is be in hospital in terms of getting a superbug. Right. So, so the less time we can have people needing to spend in hospital, the better their health is going to be. Right. You know, simple things like DVTs, so, so deep vein thrombosis, and and the fact that. You know, I, I work on the pain service at our hospital as well. And, and one of the biggest challenges we have in the hospital when we walk around and seeing patients is that just by being in the hospital and being in a hospital gown, 
you lie in bed. And mm-hmm. in terms of health and wellness, you know, if we transition from you know sick care to health care, uh, if you think about wellness, it's actually about being upright, walking around, you know, moving, participating in your self-care tasks are probably one of the biggest determinants of people's mental approach to their, are they in the sick role or are they in the health role? And, you know, I advise patients when I see them on, on, on that pain round, because that's the most time I'm exposed to patients on the floor, is ask a family member to bring in some clothes, get up in the morning, get dressed, sit in a chair, maybe have a nap in the afternoon, and then go get in your pyjamas in the evening, you know, just by changing your routine and making it mirror a little bit more like your routine life. And have a transformative effect on people's attitude towards their illness. Oh wow, wow! No, this is this is great. Yeah, Dr. Lanceman, um, really appreciate the illustration. Um, definitely, a lot of these factors are coming to fruition, and you know, um, and I think what I appreciate the most too is you give you give us some really bite sized and our listeners some really good bite sized feedback and prescriptive things that they can do on a, a daily or weekly basis, or when these scenarios arise. Um, but it, it is a really interesting future that we're marching towards in these areas. And, you know, you're doing it, right? You're working on a lot of these things. You're working on um, a lot of these different projects. And you're, you're, you're helping people, you know, get through a, a very critical, important period, usually when, you know, they were unexpectedly injured, you know. And, and so, but I mean, I think that you yeah. and, and most of your listeners could relate to the fact, just even if you're sick at home with the flu, like, you know, you spend a day in bed and actually getting up, having a shower, brushing your teeth and, and, and getting out of your pajamas just makes a huge difference to how you feel. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, because the way Western medicine is, is set up at the moment, we focus very much, and I don't think inappropriately so, on the physiological insult that is occurring. So the infection or the broken bone or whatever it is rather than looking for opportunities for wellness within that. And, and I think that, that you know, you, as you're saying, where's the future going to hold? I think that we're going to do better at delivering the wellness piece. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's inspiring too. Yeah. I, I, I remember like last time I was sick, it's counterintuitive. It's just like, nah, I kind of really don't want to take a shower. I don't really want to change or, you know, you want to just kind of sit there and just be sick and say, oh, well, I'm sick. Um, I try not to do that too long, but I remember, yeah, you know, from the point you're just like, no, let's get up, let me take a shower, <laughs> get dressed. And um, it wasn't the full blown flu, but, um, you know, I was like, no, let me use this opportunity to like meditate. I did a few different types of meditations, did some light yoga, did some enriching stuff. And so it's, it's interesting when you're sick sometimes, yeah, you're, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but integrating wellness into that episode, whether it's short term or longer term, it, it feels like that is the difference, right? That makes the difference, right? Yeah, and, and it's yeah. not, and it's not about doing everything, but it's about right. doing something small every day, mm-hmm. and and you know, and it's about you know, so I've you know, patients who've had you know major abdominal surgery, and we're seeing them with the epidurals in. It's like I don't expect you to. to get up and, and go for a run. Right. But you know, if, if you're in bed today, I want you sitting in the chair. And then if you've been sitting in the chair, I want you to walk around your room every hour. Mm. You know, and if you've been walking around your room every hour, maybe you can walk out to the nurse's station and back. Like it's not about doing too much, but just trying to push the envelope a little bit further every day. Right, right. I love it. I love it. Dr. Lanceman, this has been awesome to have you on the show and to share your story, your passions and your vision 
of healthcare in the future, but most importantly, give us these you know prescriptive bite size, um, you know ways of ways of being that you, you see have made a difference in people's lives and continue to see um, make a difference in people's lives. So really, really exciting stuff. Um, let me ask you, what would be a way for our listeners to get a hold of you if they would like to connect with you? Uh, so I'm probably the easiest thing would be is either LinkedIn, um, or, um, Twitter or Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, my Instagram handle is at Ben doc, B E N N D O C. Uh, and there's a few things going on there. Otherwise, uh, it's just my, my name on LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest to, and at Ben Lanceman is my Twitter handle. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. We'll definitely link to link to those uh, those uh, you know contacts there. And um, this is this has been really great. I really appreciate it. And you know, to our listeners out there, again, this is the Pop Health Show, and the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. Dr. Lansman, thank you again so much for making time and for for sharing your your story and your truth with us. Thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Much appreciated. Thank you.